goodness, your grace is forever, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for your mercy upon us, for we're sinners that have fallen short of your glory. We failed you. Then we blame you for what's going on in the world. Lord, it's our fault. It's our fault. We failed. We sinned. We fell short of your glory. And Lord, we repent of our sin, our iniquities, our transgressions. Lord God, and we don't, we don't just, well, we're going to repent, Lord. We're not sorry for them. We're, it led us to repentance, the sorriness for our sin leads us to repentance, that we would turn around and go back into another direction, to do an about face, you could say. Lord, your mercy, your kindness, your grace, your goodness, your faithfulness is forever. Your loving kindness is forever. For your loving kindnesses indeed never cease, Lord. They are new every morning. And great, great, great is your faithfulness to us. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever would not receive him as Savior would not perish but have eternal life. Father, we want the world to know that. We want the the state of Florida to know it. We want the county in which we live to know it. We want the city in which we live to know it. We want the world to know it. And that's why Brett's over headed to Egypt, to Cairo, Egypt, already right now. And that's why Nona was in Finland, Lord, and just on our way back this morning. Lord God, because we want the world to know about Jesus. That's why Matt spent six months in Brazil, Lord God, because we want the world to know that they need Jesus. This little church, Lord, Lord, is, you have used us, Father, to go to Tanzania, Africa, Nigeria, you know, to Jerusalem, Father God, Egypt, Finland, Sweden, Brazil, Father God, Guatemala. Lord, praise your holy name. Thank you for the honor that you have bestowed upon us to preach your gospel, not only in this little city, all around the world, even by airing on the internet, Lord, we thank you and praise you. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church, everyone outside on the internet. We're glad you tuned in. Stay tuned. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27 today, okay? And uh, I want you to stay tuned. Get your tablets out. I have 16 points that I'm going to be headed to. We're not going to do all 16 today. Or I'll be talking real fast, and you'll be late for lunch. We wouldn't want that to happen. So, uh, listen, you're listening to Freedom Church of the Pulpits, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're, you're there. We're at 2810 High Road in Lantana, Florida, which is the West Palm Beach area. We're a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road. On, on quarter mile west of I-95 on land, on uh, High Paloxo Road, I'm sorry. We're on the north side of the road. So um, if you're local, come on by. We have a men's Bible study every Saturday at 9 a.m. And we have a great time. You know, we worship the Lord. One of the guys has a guitar. You know, we worship the Lord. We, we pray. We, we study the scriptures. And these guys aren't any wimps either. They know their stuff. One of them's a pastor, you know, and, and myself too. So... So praise the Lord. We have a great time and worshiping the Lord. And um, a lot of them are from other churches even. As I mentioned earlier, we had two new visitors this week. And we thank the Lord for that. For those online, 
Walter Perry, a pastor of Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches with 2810 High Plateau Road. If you're online, that means you're on our website, because I know a whole new uh, pile of people join in right now on the internet from my first introduction. But, uh, you know, we want you to know who we are. We're a full gospel Bible-believing church, since you're online at freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. You know, you can read our beliefs. You can find out that we're a full gospel Bible-believing church. You can find our address. You can see our list of ministries. You can listen to services from years past. You can even donate online should you want to support the gospel. Right now, we got Nona just coming back from uh, from uh, Finland with uh, CFAN, which is Christ for All Nations out of Texas. And we also have Brett, who's a um, uh, harvest ministry, great harvest ministry. You know, he's headed to Egypt right now with a team of people, you know, with CFAN. So far, we're just thankful. Matt just come back from Brazil. We're in for six months teaching English to the uh, missionaries, trainees. What a, what a blessing God has bestowed upon Freedom Church. And I thank the Lord for that. To be the pastor uh, of that of that church is an honor that I know I certainly don't deserve. It's all, all the Lord. If you're online every Sunday, we're here at 10 a.m. Get your neighbors, your friends, your family, and tune in, tune in to Freedom Church next week. Um, so um, we'll, we'll be glad to have you. By the way, I'm gonna, I have a two-part message here today, 16 points. I want you to get the eight of them, I believe. You know, and we're going to skip a week because Matt is up next week. Right, Matt? Matt's up next week. He spent six months in Brazil. You're going to get a roundup on everything that has happened, just like Paul and Silas and Barnabas reported to the church in Jerusalem and Antioch. They, they gave a report to the church. Matt's going to give you a report of all the good things God has done in Brazil so that you know your prayers and your financial support, you know, has benefited, you know, uh, the, the whole nation. The whole world, actually. So praise the Lord for that. And then I'll be back up, and we'll finish our study in Acts chapter 27, and I'll move into Acts chapter 28 uh, two weeks from today. So believe uh, me, if you if you uh, you know about my, I published a book. You know, Lord, the Lord had me writing it for 10 years. He gave me the outline, eight chapters. Oh, back 10 years ago, and uh, over the years, it's been put together. A lot has happened. And, and I think it's appropriate time. It's called About Face. It's a wake-up call for the church. You know, and a lot of you say, well, the church is it's alive and well. That's what you think. That's what you think. You know, about six months ago, a year ago, I went online. I, I found out that, that, you know, where was West Palm Beach racking in the counties in America? And I found out it was number 13. Today, I looked on the most churchless cities. Where does your city rank? On Barna online. Listen to this. You know, the number one most churchless residence in its rank six, um, in its ranks of, of uh, churches, West Palm Beach ranks number one. Number one in the most churchless cities in America. And we could throw a rock. We're actually in West Palm Beach. You say the church is alive and well. No, this book is telling you we are sleeping. We are sleeping. Some churches are alive. You're alive as far as I'm concerned. We're touching the world. 
This is the most churchless county or city in, in America. We have slipped backwards. And you say, well, you know, and they say, why would Joe write this book about wake-up call for the church? Let me read you what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Num verse number 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. You know, the church has forgot you're a soldier. This is written on soldier uh, territory. And you'll understand it because I broke it down for those that never even entered the Army or Navy or Marines or any of that stuff. Paul is telling you, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul today enduring some of the hardships that he went through. And then it goes in verse 4. No one engaged entangled in warfare... No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The church is too busy, wondering about, I need a six-bedroom house. I need a pool in the back. I need a condo on, on, the, on the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. No, we're supposed to have, be heavenly-minded. Heavenly-minded, have a light touch on this world because you're not here for that long yet. I'm 72 years old. I have no idea how long I'm here, but it's, it's short compared to eternity. And some of you are in your 30s, you know, 20s, 60s, 70s, 80s even. You know what? We need to wake up. West Palm Beach is slipping back, and you need to read this book. Call me up. I'll send it to you for a small donation, and uh, you can they're on the back table, you know, uh, for a donation, and uh, you can just take them. You know, I want the book out there. I didn't write it for money. I wrote it because the Lord told me to write it. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, in, I'm not uh, gonna gain the whole world over this. I wrote the book so that the church, like West Palm Beach, will wake up. We have mega churches in this, in this city, in this county, and the church, most churchless city residence is West Palm Beach, Florida. Come on, I mean, we need to wake up. Wake up. You're a soldier of Christ, and you need to fight for the kingdom of God down here on earth. That's what Paul's doing. We've been studying all about him. So I just wanted to tell you that because, listen, we've got to wake up. People are dying, billions of people on this earth. There are people are dying, and they're headed for a, a godless eternity. When Jesus told us how easy it is to get to the kingdom of heaven, just believe in me. And believe just isn't a light term. Believe means adhere to, trust in, rely on. You're glued to him. Not just on Sunday morning, not just on Sunday evening or the midweek service. No, every single day of our life. A church like this with preaching what I just preached you, we probably won't grow real big especially in this county, unless we win souls. You know, we have people in this church that go up to, uh, what's that street, up Clematis Street, and preach the gospel to people. And they love it. Max went out, he's 23 years old, first time he went out witnessing with Matt and Brett and Noah and all those, those guys. He had a great time giving his story, his witness. How he wanted to commit suicide, and God saved him. You know what? Praise God. I personally have been a Christian for over 45 years, and I don't know what I would do if I wasn't a Christian. I'd probably be dead. 
But I tell you what, I thank God for that day. It's the greatest day of my life, and it can be your greatest day if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and today you can find him. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are in the storm of your life because the devil's trying to fight and keep you from coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the church is trying to win you over to Christ so that you can spend eternity in heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and us, the fellow believers. And we want you there. God loved you so much, he sent his son. And all you got to do is believe in him. Like I said, believe isn't just mouthing a word. Believe is sticking to it, living for him. Christianity is not a Sunday morning venture. It is a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Okay, turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. I'm just going to give you a little history on the first several verses up to verse 13, then I'll read. In Acts 27, it was decided that Paul was arrested and he was on his way to Italy, to Rome, and with other prisoners of this centurion, Julius, of the, the um, Augustine Regiment, these means the elite of the Roman army, you know, picked him up and they're going to sail to, to uh, Rome. But as they, as they got on the ship, the storm, uh, the weather was against them. It tells us that it was at the time of the feast, which puts us in the fall. And you know as when fall comes, you know, hurricanes come, windstorms come, tornadoes come, and they found themselves, you know, having to pull into shore for shelter at Cyprus for a while. And then whenever they thought it was okay, they decided to move on. The centurion found an, Al uh, an Alexandrian ship headed for Italy, and he put Paul and the brother prisoners on board. And they sailed slowly for seven days, according to, um, you know, verse uh, 7, under the shelter of the island of Crete. And passing with difficulty, they came to Fairhaven, near the city of Lycia. And sailing was now dangerous because it was fall. And because the fast was on, Paul advised them, man, we perceive the voyage. He advised them. He said, listen, this voyage is going to end up in disaster. Paul was warning the captain and the owner of the ship. But they and the centurion and the owner of the ship decided we're going to make a break. We're going to hit Italy, and if we don't hit Italy, we're going to find a place to weather the storm that, that's here. Because some of these ports, where they landed in, in uh, one of the cities, it wasn't suitable to harbor, to, 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 to stay for the winter. Because the waves would be crashing, a direct hit to all the waves on the ships. So here it is, verse 13. I'm going to read down to the 21st verse. I'm reading from the New King James Version, Acts chapter 27, verse 13. And when a south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, put out the sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempest head 
wind arose called the Northeaster. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind or let we let it drive her, and running ahead the, shelf, the shelter of the island called Plotia, we secured the skiff and with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on Cy Cyrus stands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up or lost. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, in other words, I told you so, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. We just spent two weeks in learning about storms. I showed you three types of storms, and I'll name them real quick. Storms you can hide from. You can hide from a storm under the shelter of God's wings. You can endure storms. Many of them have to be endured. And also, you can rebuke storms. So you can hide from them, you can rebuke them, or you can endure them. We also learned six reasons why God allows storms to come into our lives. And you know what? I didn't just preach this here. I passed out the paperwork, and I hope you still have it. So that because we had a lot of points to go over. I'm a Bible study, I'm a pastor and preacher, but I'm a teacher of the Word of God. I want to learn the Word of God. I want you to learn the Word of God. I don't want you to wallow in the puddles of God, and neither do I. I want to swim in the deep channels of God, and I want to rescue those fish that are at the bottom. I want to rescue those fish in the midwaters, and I want to rescue the fish that are wallowing in the puddles. Listen. There are six reasons why God allows storms to come into our lives. Some are for God's glory. They're for correction. They're for perfection. They're for opportunity. They're for direction. There's so many things that, that storms do. So we don't like storms, but it's okay if we are in a storm. You're, you live in the real world. Storms will happen. That's just the way it is. Now, since Adam and Eve failed in the Garden of Eden, storms have come. There has never a storm when God created the Garden of Eden. There never was a storm until man sinned. And then we have a say, why, why, God, did you let that kid over there shoot all these kids in the schoolyard? Well, why did that person jump off the bridge? You know what? It's our fault. It's not God's fault. His kingdom was perfect. We screwed it up. So it's your fault. You are a sinner, and you need to repent. And I'm a sinner, and I need to repent. So we saw three types of storms. We saw six reasons God allows storms. And then we saw last week, the week before last, four principles to learn in a storm. You have the paperwork. I'm going to go through it real quick. Storms reveal our weakness. 
and it brings us to the brink, like the woman that touched the hem of God's Christ garment. She had reached, she was weak, and restored her weakness. She spent all her money, she went to every doctor, nothing did her good, as a matter of fact, she got worse. But there was a principle she needed to learn. I just need to touch Jesus' garment. Number two, storms reveal God's ability. You know what? Peter and the disciples found out Jesus' abilities when they saw him walking on a turbulent sea. Nobody can walk on water. Nobody has ever done that since Jesus. But Peter did. He took a few steps, I would imagine. But he did walk on water. Storms reveal God's ability. He can walk on water. He can put the moon in the sky and that hangs there on nothing. Number three, storms create a willingness to be with Jesus. Because when they were in the storm, they saw Jesus walking on the waves, and they invited him into the boat. And that's something that a lot of people out there, that you're in the storms, and you never invited Jesus into it. As soon as Jesus got into this boat, in this chapter that we're quoting here, you know what? The boat, first of all, as soon as he got in the boat, the storm, storm stopped, and then they were already on the other side of the lake. They traveled four miles as soon as Jesus just jumped into the boat. Come on, you've got to invite Jesus into your storm because he can help you through it. I remember when I was a kid, I used to do that. I ran into troubles in my life. I'd run down to the church steps and pray. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. You know what? I needed God's help, and God came through because I'm still here. Storms create a great willingness for you to be with Jesus. Bring him into your boat. Bring him into your storm. And you might find out that the storm, you will find out the storm's a lot easier. And it just might end when you invite him in. And storms also last as long as the Lord wants them to. As you saw, as soon as he got into the boat, it stopped. He could stop it like that or he can allow it to go on. But you're a soldier of Christ, and you need to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ because no one, you know, entangled in, in any, anyone enlisted by God is not to get entangled into the things of this world. That still means you can vote, okay? Don't think I'm coming against politics. You need to vote and get some of these creeps out of there. Number seven. I mean, then, then there was four principles to learn, and then seven things about storms. Storms cannot separate you from God. If you have God in your life, you will, he will, not, you will not be separated from him. Matter of fact, you'll be hung, hanging on to him more closely. Storms cannot separate you from God. You know, uh, heaven, nor hell, nor things present, nor things to come, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Storms remind you of God's ownership. When you come into a storm, you remember, I'm a Christian. I, God can help me out. I'm going to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask him. He said, if I believe in God, and if I say to this mountain or this storm, be taken up and cast into the sea, and if I don't doubt in my heart, then he will grant it for me. Storms adjust your priorities, number three. 
They adjust your priorities. Here's 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. I love this verse. My friend Leif, you know, loved this verse. And he was a, a minister of, uh, what can I say, not an not a ordained minister, but he was a minister that went from hospital to hospital. People were dying from cancer because God healed him of leukemia. And when he was at the doctor's office on that day, he found out he had leukemia. He said, I got a court appearance in West Palm Beach and, and, a doc, and at noon. It was like 1130. The doctor says, if you don't go to the hospital right now, you'll be dead by noon. That's how bad he had leukemia. And God healed him. This is his favorite verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of of all mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Here's a reason why. So that we will be able to comfort others who are in affliction with the comfort that we have received from God. That's why, one of the reasons why it adjusts our priorities. There's other people. You, you were sick. You went through a divorce. You went through bankruptcy. You can help other people in the church. Do you realize that? They will respect you because you have gone through it. Number four, you can't control storms, but you can control your attitude in the storm. Your attitude shows your altitude. Okay? Your attitude shows your altitude. The safest place in a storm, by the way, is with Jesus. Just so you know that. Never take your eyes off of him. You don't look to your pastor. You don't look to the master. You look to Jesus. You might go to your pastor for some advice. You might go to your friends for advice. But you go to Jesus, and you never take your eyes off of Jesus. And if they're telling you to take your eyes off of Jesus, don't do it. I've had counseled people over the years where where people wanted couples to be divorced. <laughs> That's what you think, but God says, let no man separate what God's going together. Uh, God's joined together. In other words, work through it, whatever it may be. Forgiveness may be some of it. Don't let fear set in. The, de the devil will use fear to keep you out of church, and it has done a good job with this COVID that went by in the last two and a half years. It has emptied the churches. Not to full, not, a lot of them are, don't exist, like the Spanish church that met here. They don't exist anymore. They couldn't survive it. There's other churches that couldn't survive it. But the churches that did survive it, they're operating at half mass, a lot of them, even less. You know what? The devil caused you to fear. And you said, on my way to church, there's a lion in the road called COVID. You know what? God has that lion tamed back. It's time to put faith over fear. You know what? I was at the VA hospital about two months ago, you know, being checked up by my, my primary doctor. And listen, uh, one of the girls there that came out to get me, she had a T-shirt on. And it said, faith over fear. And I'm there like, Wow, you allowed to wear this in the VA? Evidently, yeah. Faith over fear, church. COVID stinks. 
COVID was defeated by Jesus Christ. You need to apply the blood. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. Quit fearing. You know, what if you do die? Hey, you're going to the kingdom of heaven. You forgot heaven exists. This is not your home. You live and you are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ on a kingdom called earth, but your home kingdom is heaven. You're not of this world. You're in the world, but you're not of this world anymore. Don't let fear set in. And number seven, Jesus' power will be recognized in the storm. If you, when people see you go through the storm, they'll say, how did he do that? And you have the opportunity to say, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus helped me through. I have died with Christ, and it's no longer me who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We could stop right there, and this service could be over. Because this, we saw those storms, and I just pointed out all the points we went through to, to, you, know, uh, to you. But we're going to see a real storm, and I just read through it. The Apostle Paul's caught in this storm. So the title of this message, if you're going to look it up and listen to it again, is, When Shipwrecked, Do This. When Shipwrecked, Do This. And I'm going to show you 16 things, and we're going to get only do eight today. Number one. We, we learned that this trip was planned. Plan your ways, and God will direct your path. Plan your ways, Proverbs 16.9. Plan your ways. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs its steps. As we go through this storm, we're going to find out the centurion and the boat owner headed for Italy, but God redirected it. And there was a good reason why he redirected it. He, they planned their way, but God directed their steps, and they ended up in the island of Malta, which we'll get to next in two weeks. Man plans, but God directs. You could plan to be an engineer and end up an architect. You could plan to be a professor and end up a pastor. You could plan to be a pastor and end up a, a, a ditch digger because God directs your path. The Lord can change our plans and he makes us more effective. He makes us more effective. I've gone through storms in my life that changed my direction. And if it didn't, I wouldn't be up here today. God changed the direction and the plans that I had for my life. I was a well-known sign painter in Pittsburgh. God redirected my steps. I loved what I did until the computers came, and then I hated it. I loved the talent. I don't want to see a, 
uh, mechanical drawing, you know what I mean? And I've, I've learned that I have a degree in mechanical drawing. But I want to see true art. I want to see, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's work. You know, I want to see uh, the real artists do real things with a real brush and real paint. And God changed my plan, plans, and here I am, senior pastor of Freedom Church. I thought I was a good assistant pastor. I didn't even want to be an assistant pastor. When I was going through the Bible college, I was just going to learn. Before you know it, everybody's telling me, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, I don't want to be a pastor. I just want to learn about Jesus more, more, more. And somehow, here I am, because God... I planned my ways, but God directed my steps. 27.10, Acts 27.10, And said to them, Sirs, I perceive, this is Paul talking, that this voyage will, will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the lading on the ship or the cargo, but also to our lives. <clears throat> Verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than the things that were spoken by Paul. And when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, they pulled up anchor, and they sailed for Crete, close to shore, because that wind bothered them. They thought things were okay when the soft wind came. But Paul told them, you should not have gone. We're going to end up in disaster. But the centurion's in command. This was a Roman-ruled world, and that centurion could have forced the, the uh, ship owner to make the trip. But the, so the soldier was in command, the centurion. Verse 14 but soon a tempest wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. In other words, it came from the shore, came onto the Mediterranean Sea. And when the ship was caught in it, it could not face the wind. We gave way to it and were driven along. So listen, man planned his way, but God kind of like channeled it or directed the storm. I hate to use that word channel because, uh, you know, Mid-Eastern religion likes to use it. God channeled it or directed the storm to change things because there were people on an island of Malta that, that needed healed and needed to be saved. And then people had to realize that Paul was, was a man of God when the viper bit him and he didn't die. They needed to see that so that they know that this man's words are true. The captain, the centurion, the boat owner didn't believe it, but you know what? God caused the natives on Malta to believe it when that viper bit Paul in the stack of woods that he began to throw in the fire. And Paul wasn't alarmed, and he didn't jump overboard. Oh, get me a doctor, get me a doctor. No, he, shook, he just shook off the snake into the fire, and that was it. And he went about his business. Because, you know what, Paul was not overcome by fear. He was overcome by faith. And we got to move mountains, and we can move mountains by faith. And every time I quote that verse, Matthew or Mark 11, 24, 25, you know, I always tell them, 
God, it doesn't say for God, God, can you move this mountain? It says you move the mountain in my name. There's a difference. It's a big difference. They were directed. They were carried by this wind. They couldn't go into it because it was too strong. So they just gave way. And they were driven. Not knowing where they were headed. They could have ended up in Africa. But God had work on Malta. Do you realize that that storm put Paul exactly where he needed to be at exactly the right time when Publius, the governor of the island, the major man in the, in the island was sick? Oh, his father was sick, I'm sorry. And Paul healed him. And then everybody on the island came out. And God, you know, of course, Paul didn't heal him. You know that God healed him and used Paul. Here's the application of God planning your ways is you let the Lord guide you as you pray. You need to pray, and God will guide you. Lord, if, this, if I have the wrong direction, please guide me or direct me to the way that I should go. Number two is secure the lifeboat and pass the ropes underneath and come back. Here's verse 20, chapter 27 of Acts. Verse 16, and running under the shelter of the island called Claudia, we secured the skiff, that is the, the uh, rowboat, the, the, what do they call that? Lifeboat, lifeboat that's it. They, they, secure, they secured the lifeboat, okay? And then they ran cables under the ship, because this is a wooden ship, and all the waves beating against this ship could have just tore them apart. So they put ropes around it to hold the ship together. That's how bad this storm was. If you remember, I read they, they lost all hope. After 14 days or so went by, they lost all hope that they would ever be saved. But Paul already knew because an angel stood before him and told him. So how do you secure the lifeboat and, and pass the ropes underneath? Here's how, with prayer. You ask God, you seek God, and you knock at God's door. You know what they were asking? I'm sure they were seeking, but man, when they undergirded that ship with ropes, they were knocking, God, get us out of here. This boat could be torn apart by these waves. This was, you know, like Andrew, Hurricane Andrew back in 91 here in in, in Florida. It was in 91, 2001, right? No, it was 191. Hurricane Andrew. It was a Category 4 or 5 that hit, hit Miami and tore up all the way into West Palm Beach. You've got to pray. You've got to knock. You've got to secure your faith in Christ. You've got to come closer to Him. You've got to grab on. You've got to invite Him into the boat as we studied one of the weeks before. You've got to invite Him into the boat. A lot of people want to weather the storm alone, and you're going to be fighting a losing battle because the Lord can save you and help you. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables and undergirded the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on citrus sands, they struck sail, in other words, sails down, and so were driven. They took the sails down so they wouldn't be moving so fast. They undergirded the ship so that if it did strike a sandbar or, or an island or a rock, it wouldn't get torn apart that bad, and to secure it in the storm. 
Just in case they didn't run aground on a sail bar, they took down the sails. And the wind carried them. So they would be moving slower. So if they did hit something, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't just explode. It would be lo- less damageable. And you know in your life that when you hit the bad parts of your life and you know that, that uh, poem about the footprints in the sand, when you know all of a sudden there's two sets of footprints, you're walking with Jesus, and then you hit the rough part of your life and a set of footprints disappears. And you say to God, why did you leave me at that critical time? And the Lord said, I didn't leave you. It was me who was carrying you. But you didn't do it. I mean, but you didn't know. You didn't think. You've got to call on the Lord and he will carry you. So what's the application of this verse 16? It's remember, the Lord's with you always. Call upon him in your day of trouble, and he, and he will answer you, and he will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. That's Jeremiah 33, 3, and that is God's phone number. It's that easy, Jeremiah 33, 3. You know, at home when I was a little kid, it was Sterling 5694. You know what? God's phone number is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call upon me in your day of trouble. Call upon him. If you don't ask him, he's not coming. He stands at the door and knocks. You don't ask him, he's not going to come in. He's a gentleman. He'll never leave you or forsake you, church. Number three, verse 29. And fearing lest they should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for day. Well, let me tell you something. Look up another version on that, like the ESV and the God's Word and Good News, Good, good uh, uh, News Bible. It says they prayed. I don't believe they were wishing. I believe they were praying. They prayed for day. It was dark out there. You know what? The storms clouded everything. There are no stars. There is no moon. There is no light on the Mediterranean Sea. They had nowhere, they don't know where they were, had no idea. And they prayed, they, they, they cast four anchors out, which would even slow them more. So not only were their sails down, not only did, did they secure the, the lifeboat and, and run ropes under the sea, they, they dropped four anchors, four anchors from the stern, and they dragged them along the bottom so it would slow the ship down. So in case it did hit rocks, it wouldn't be too disastrous, less disastrous. Well, you know what that tells you? It's time for you to brace yourself in the storm. How do you brace yourself? You brace yourself on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the rock of your salvation. I love you, O Lord, my strength. You are my rock and my fortress, my God and my deliverer, and you do I trust. That's Psalm 18, verse 1 and onward. God is now directing their path. Do you see this? They were headed for Italy. They don't know where they're at. God's redirecting their path. So you planned your ways. The centurion planned his ways. If Paul was going to Caesar, he ends up on Malta. God is directing the steps. So as you go through your storm, brace yourself in the Lord and slow down and pray. Don't wish, pray. 
When I go back B.C. before Christ, when I pray to God and I go back B.C., I always say, I wish this would happen because it's already done. If I want to go forward, I say, I pray that this will happen. I can't change my past, but I can change my future by my attitude, which develops my altitude. We know today that the Lord had salvation planned for the island of Malta. Now, if you went to Malta today, I'm told that, um, that there's plenty of religious things there, churches and all kind of stuff, even, even places where they, they, they say the anchors are left in the sea. I read up on it years ago. Matter of fact, me and Joe Massey baptized a bunch of Greek people. I think they were from Malta or, Cyp or Cyprus, you know, over in Joe and Kathy's pool over here in Boynton Beach. They came in from, from uh, Greece, and they wanted to hear the gospel. They came in from Greece, and they wanted to hear the gospel in America, and we sat around the big table, and there was like 12 of them, and like eight of them got saved. And then they went, back to, they went back to Greece. They come back about three years later and say, they, they tell, ask us if we will baptize them. So we did. We baptized like four out of the eight when they came in. People in other countries are hungry for Jesus, and God may be directing your path. And you need to go with the flow. So the application here on number three, casting out four anchors, is slow down, pray for clarity, and for spiritual insight, why this is happening. Why this storm. Number four, get rid of cargo. And because, verse 18, and because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. You want to lighten your ship? Here's what you need to do. Repent. That's the cargo you need to get rid of. The sin, the adultery, the lust, the pornography, the, the uh, lesbianism, the cannibalism, whatever it is, the gayness. You need to get rid of your sin. You don't flaunt your sin. You get rid of it. You toss that wicked cargo overboard. And you start do what I told you and why I wrote that book, make an about face and go in the other direction. You weren't made a Christian. God didn't call you as a Christian to flaunt your adultery, to flaunt your lies, to flaunt your sexuality. He put you, uh, he made you a Christian to serve him and to get rid of your sin and the cargo that's holding you back. You need to get rid of it and not flaunt it. And that's why number one churchless city in America is West Palm Beach. Mega churches all over the place, and they aren't preaching what needs to be preached. Repentance, turning away from your sin. You know what? We need Jonathan Edwards and, and George Whitefield again on this earth. And preachers like that. We need Billy Graham. We need about a hundred of them right here in America, two for each state. We need to wake up. America's sinking. West Palm Beach is in the, in, the, in the beginning of it, and you and I live in West Palm Beach. Oh, my goodness. You need to lighten the ship. Here's what 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of memorizing this verse. Here's what Paul says. 
I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed unto repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Godly sorrow worketh repentance, and repentance leads to salvation. So if you don't repent, guess what? I'll bet you aren't even saved. And if you do repent, and you continue to do it, you, you're, not, you're not repenting. You're just asking forgiveness every time you sin. And believe me, I work on that myself. I'm no better than you. As I always say, I wonder why God put me in the pulpit, and he always tells me the same thing, because you're all sinners. I have to choose somebody. You need to raise the bar. That's the application here. Raise the bar. Get rid of your sin. Throw out the, that bad cargo. Get rid of it. And you know what that does? It raises the ship. So when the ship's being driven into a sandbar or whatever, it, it actually would be higher when it hits the sandbar. And it just made clear a few sandbars because they got rid of the extra weight. Do you understand that? You lighten the ship. And you know what? You lighten the ship, church, by repenting and getting rid of your sins. What's Isaiah say? Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. But you have to repent. The church today, especially West Palm Beach, has forgotten repentance. We need to get rid of these things in the churches. God loves them. God loves you, whether you're a homosexual, whether you're a drunk, whether you're an alcoholic, whether you're a pervert. He loves you, and so do we. I love you so much, I'm telling you, you need to repent because I want to see you in heaven. Not because I hate you, I love you. I want you in heaven with me, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Get rid of the tackle. You get rid of the tackle. Number five, rid yourself of the tackle. That's the weight again. You know, throw your sin overboard, your iniquities overboard, your transgression. Your sin is sin. Your iniquities are, are more sin. Your transgressions is deliberate sin. You do it even though you, you know better. In other words, be holy. God wants you to be holy because he's holy. And one of the mottos for our church, you find it on the back of our card, my business card on the back table, is Galatians 5.13, For you were called the freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, the sin. Don't use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for sin. You need to repent and do not abuse grace. Don't abuse grace. So that's the application. Repent so you can float higher and 
Don't abuse grace. Number six, verse 20. And when neither sun or star in many days appeared, tempest and no small tempest was laid on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Listen, look at these. They haven't seen day or night. It's dark 24-7. 14, two weeks went by. It's dark. No stars. They can't even, they don't know where they're at because they can't find the North Star. It's dark, dark, dark. They lost all hope. I told you about the wharf rats that uh, the Norwegian scientists did. They did a, 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 um, a study of wharf rats. And what they did was they took, and uh, you know, I hate to repeat this if you've heard me say it before, but they took a liquid, you know, like those barrels you, you, um, you dunk for apples in, you try to catch an apple with your mouse. They filled that with water, put a wharf rat in there, put them in a dark room with no light in it whatsoever. It took about 30 minutes before that rat drowned. So they did another experiment. They took another wharf rat, put them in the same room, total darkness, but they ran out a, they sent a beam of light through the room, say a flashlight shining through the room. You know how long that rat swam before it drowned? 36 hours. You know why? It had light and it had hope. Jesus didn't say, I'm the light of the world for nothing. He's the light of the world. He's your hope. And you need hope. These guys have lost hope. The only one hanging on to hope here is Paul. And he's hoping in the Lord. Hope just seems to fade away. If you're in that dark time and the storm, it's time for you to turn on the light and invite the light of the world into your, your church, into your storm. And the scriptures even talk about that in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. You know this verse. Put it in your heart. But you have this treasure in earthen vessels, that exceedingly greatness of the power may be of God, and not from yourselves. For we are pressed on every side, yet not straightened. We are perplexed, yet not in despair. Pursued, but not forsaken. Smitten down, but not destroyed. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, works for us more and more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we look at the things which are seen, but at the not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, and the things that are not are, etern are not seen or eternal. That's called faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's hope. That's why that rat swam a lot longer, had hope. You take Jesus out of your life, Really, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't have any hope. All you're hoping in is this world, and it's temporal. It's temporal. I told somebody yesterday, we were talking at the men's group, 
They're talking about, you know, people that know Christ and people that don't know Christ or people that know Christ are, are, um, are alive and they don't know Christ. And I told him, I says, see that person walking down the street? If he don't know Jesus, he's dead. Well, he's walking. He's a walking dead man. You know what a walking dead man is? A zombie. You're alive, but you're dead. So you're a Christian. You're no longer a zombie. You're alive, and you're alive. You're alive in the flesh. You're alive in the spirit. Well, those people out there in the world, the billions of people that aren't saved, they, they are walking. They're alive, but they're dead. They're dead. Their sin has, has caused them to die, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So all, number seven, all hope is gone. Acts 27, verse 20. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. But what did the Bible say? You want to see some light? Here's what the Bible says. Now abides faith, hope, and charity, or love. But the greatest of these things is love. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith. Faith. You don't have faith, you're lost. <clears throat> you know what? You don't see faith. You have faith. You don't see faith. Jesus had to tell that to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it will, and thou hear, hear the voice thereof, but knowest not whence it cometh and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know what? We don't see faith, but we feel it. I, see, I don't see faith, but I know I feel it in Christ Jesus. I'm going to heaven someday. But it's not because of me. It's because of Christ. <clears throat> it may look like you're losing if you're a believer on this earth, but you're not. That's what that verse in Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7. You're pursued, but not forsaken. You're smitten down, but you're not destroyed. You can't be destroyed. You have eternal life. The devil can't destroy you. Jesus crushed the devil at the cross. He's a harmless foe. You can't see faith, but it's there, and you can feel it. The wind is a viable illustration of faith. So what's the application when all hope is gone? Hope will draw you nearer to God. Ephesians 2.12 tells you this. At that time, you were without Christ. One time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Before Christ, you have no hope. And without Christ in this world, you're without Christ in the world. You have no hope. You can't even, you don't have him. You can't invite him into the boat unless you ask him. You need him. <clears throat> For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in the better hope did by which we draw near to God. You draw near to God because of hope. And 2 Corinthians 1, 7, and hope is steadfast concerning you. Listen, you have to hope. Hope is very important. Number eight is our final point we're going to look at today. No food. Here's Acts 27, verse 21. And when they had been a long time without food, then Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, 
Sirs, you should not hearken to me and not set sail from Crete and have gotten this injury and loss. Darren, you can pass out those papers, would you? No food. You know what this speaks of? Even though they might not have been able to eat, they were fasting. They were fasting. This is telling you that these guys were fasting. They had lost so much hope that their only choice was to fast. They were beginning to believe Paul. They were beginning to believe Paul. You know what? You know one of the reasons why probably West Palm Beach is the number one worst Christian, uh, worst Christian county in the country? It's probably because the church doesn't fast. I know people in this church that fast once a week, and I'll never tell you who they are. You know what? How about these mega churches around this area? And I'm not, I'm not knocking any particular church. I'm talking about any church. Do you fast? The church has forgotten fast. And when they do fast, they fast for all the wrong reasons. They got to tell everyone, oh, I'm doing a Daniel fast. Oh, I'm doing a vegetable fast. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm going to give up dinner on Friday nights every, all, all for the rest of the next five years. No, you keep your mouth shut. You can watch certain people and see that they're fasting. You need to fast. These men were fasting. And I, don't, I think some of them by choice and some of them not by choice. And Paul's saying, fast. Isaiah chapter 58. And that list that you just received is going to show you 26 results of fasting and I'm going to use this time, and maybe just maybe five more minutes. I'm going to go through these real quick, and I'll probably pick up on them next week. If you fast, first of all, in the first five verses of this chapter, Paul uh, Isaiah is telling you how not to fast. Don't put sackcloth and ashes on so that everybody knows you're fasting, and don't look like you you you're, you're a skeleton, and don't mope around so everybody knows you be yourself. So did everybody say, oh, he's fasting. He looks mere terrible. He looks terrible. No. You're, they were fasting for all the wrong reasons. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. And you will not, fa you will not fast as you do this day. He's telling you, I'm going to give you a new way to fast. In verse 6, verse 6, I'm going to go through these real fast. 26 plants. 26 things, and there are more than that in this chapter. Number one, verse 8, it will loosen the bonds of wickedness. In other words, it will help you get rid of your sin. It will help you throw over your lusts and your sin. Number two, it will help you undo heavy burdens if you're brokenhearted, you're divorced, or your kids don't talk to you, or whatever, undo heavy burdens. Number three, a fast will... Let the oppressed go free. That means some of us are, are captives in our body. You know, uh, we can be set free from a bodily ailment, in our soul ailment, or anything like that. Number four, to break every yoke. Yokes like drugs, alcohol, lust, pornography, 
uh, homosexuality, you name it. It will give you the strength. Now, verse 7, to share your bread with the hungry. In other words, you're going to get compassion. You need compassion. Jesus ministered with compassion. He felt, he felt compassion for the people, and he healed them, and he fed them. Number six, you will hide yourself from your own flesh. In other words, you're, you're, you're weak, but Christ uh, in the Spirit is strong in you. Number verse 8, that your healing shall spring forth. There's healing in fasting. Fast. If you're sick, fast. You, your righteousness will go before you. In other words, people will see the light of Jesus in you. Jesus will shine forth. Number nine, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That means if the enemy wants to attack you from the rear, the Lord's your rear guard. He's going to stop them. That's one of my favorites right there. You know that the armor of God has no, no protection on the back, remember? You know who guards your back? The Lord. He's your rear guard. I love that verse. Number verse 9, you will call on the Lord and he'll answer you. In other words, you know, he'll answer you. He hears your prayers. Number 11, to remove your yoke. Yoke. Not only break it, but remove it. You see that? Not only break it, but remove it from you. Pointing the, the pointing of fingers to cease contentment and despising others. You're going to quit saying, oh, look at that rich guy. He's, he's got two condos and a yacht on the Riviera. No, you, you quit pointing fingers. It's, it ain't about this world. It's about the world to come. Um, where am I? Pointing the finger. Uh, pointing the finger, verse 10, number 13. You will extend your soul to the hungry. In other words, you will gain benevolence and affection for people. You'll feel sorry for people. You'll reach out to people. Number 14, your light shines in the darkness. Okay, here you know what? You're a light of the world if you're a Christian, but are you a neon light? Are you a spotlight? Are you a three-way light that turns off the light any way you want it? Or are you just a Twinkie light that shines only, only certain times? You are the light of the world. Your light's supposed to burn 24-7, 365, and point and a quarter days a year. Number 11, verse 13. I mean, verse 11, number 15. The Lord will guide you. He will direct your steps. Fasting gets you can get guidance. Number number sixteen. The Lord will satisfy your soul in the dry places. In other words, you'll have perfect peace. Your your reward, your delight will be in Him. Says Psalm thirty-seven five. He will be your delight. Number the Lord will guide you. In number fifteen. Number sixteen. The Lord will satisfy your soul in in a dry season. So when you're having bad times, he's going to keep your joy alive. You're, he's going to give you perfect peace. Number 17, the Lord will give health to your bones. Another, another one, you know, talking about health. Fasting will give you health. Um, health, and there's Proverbs 8, or 3, 8. Health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Verse 12, number 18, you will be like a watered garden. You will be satisfied. You'll be filled with joy. You'll be plush. You will be like a spring of water. A spring of water, I don't know if you know it, but a spring of water in the mountains is pure 
It's cool. It's lively. It's flowing. It's running. It's untainted. I've had one when my dad had a cabin up along the Allegheny River in Pennsylvania where there's a cool spring. The water came right out of the mountain into a little pond. Pure water. You could see so clear down. This is what, what, what will happen. You will be like a spring of water, living, active, alive, refreshed, pure, lovely, cool. Number 20, your ruins will be repaired. That means the Lord's going to restore the years that the locusts have, have, have stolen, Joel chapter 2. The family foundations will be set because you're fasting. You can rebuild the ancient ruins. You can rebuild what failed in the past. You'll be a key peacekeeper, a rebuilder. You will be a person that saves marriages and, and loves on people and helps them. Number 23, verse 13, the day of rest will be your delight. You know what? I hear people say, used to say it all the time, I hate Sundays. They're boring, especially when the blue laws were in years ago. Man, Sundays are so boring. I don't know about you, but if you're a Christian, you live for Sunday. You do. I can't wait to get to church. Your family foundation set. You will be a repairer of the breach. The day of rest, the Sabbath, will be your delight. Jesus is your Sabbath. He's your, he's your peace. Come unto me, and I will give you peace, said Jesus. He's your Sabbath. Rest in him. The Lord will be your delight, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He isn't going to give you a winning lottery ticket. He's going to give you the desires of your heart. And if you delight yourself in the Lord, you will be delighted what his law is. His law is to win people over to Christ, to get people saved. That's number one. God wishes none would perish and all would come to repentance. He will cause you to ride on the hills of the earth. Read Habakkuk, the last couple verses of the book of Habakkuk. Man, you would be like, you would be like a, a mountain goat that leaps on the mountain. I don't even know how to do it. They got hoofs. I can't see these mountain goats leap from rock to rock. I don't get it. It has to be from God. And number 26, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Your heart, in other words, your heart will be living in promised land. Your possessions will be in the promised land. You won't want to go back to the slavery of sin, drugs, alcohol, sex, Whatever, outside of marriage, adultery, all that, you won't want to go back because he's going to be your reward. You don't want to go back to Egypt to eat onions. You want to eat, you want to eat steak and lobster from God's hands on this earth. In other words, God says, if it's done correctly, these things will come to pass. So when you fast, fast quietly. And listen to all the benefits you get. And I'm telling you, I missed some in here with this. There's probably 36 benefits to fasting. <coughs> so anyway, we're going to pick up next week. For those of you out there that don't have Jesus in your boat in the storm, I ask you to invite him in, not with just your lips, but with your heart. And you will be saved. You'll come away from that prayer a different person. Because you gave your heart, not your lips, but your heart to Jesus. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the beauty of your word, so deep, 
so deep that we can never touch bottom. But we want to because we want to know all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all. <coughs> Dan, you look different without it. I thought we had a new guy.